My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is creating a community in your team and organization. Joining us today is our guest, John Baldoni. John Baldoni is globally recognized leadership educator, certified master corporate executive coach, LinkedIn Live host, and author of 15 books that have been translated into 10 languages. John's thought leadership is reflected in his writing as well as his choice of media, columns, videos, and books. John also integrates piano improvisations into his keynotes, which he illustrates with still live photos. John is also the host of LinkedIn Live's Grace Under Pressure interview series, a platform that has enabled him to interview more than 100 global business, academic, and thought leaders and doers. John's books include Grace Notes, Leading in an Upside Down World, Grace, a Leader's Guide to Better Us, Moxie, the secret to bold and gutsy leadership, lead with purpose, lead your boss, and the leader's pocket guide. In 2021, the International Federation of Learning and Development named John a world-class mentor and named him to its Hall of Fame. In 2022, Global Gurus ranked John a top 20 global leadership expert, a list he's been on since 2007. In 2018, Inc.com named John a top 100 speaker, and Trust Across America honored John with its Lifetime Achievement Award for Trust. In 2014, Inc.com listed John as a top 50 leadership expert. John is also a member of the renowned Marshall Goldsmith 100 Coaches, a group of executive coaches and thought leaders from the worlds of business, academia, and social service. John established a career as a highly sought-after executive coach, where he has had the privilege of working with senior leaders in virtually every industry from pharmaceutical to real estate, packaged goods to automobiles and finance to healthcare. John has authored more than 800 leadership columns for a variety of online publications, including Forbes, Harvard Business Review and Inc.com. John has produced and appears in a video coaching series for Smart Brief, a news channel with over 4 million readers. John is the author and host of two online leadership courses, leading through change and crisis, and leading with resilience and grace. For methods of Leaders 100 Coaches, John is also the host of LinkedIn Live's Grace Under Pressure interview series. And John's leadership website is www.johnbaldoni.com. John, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Oh, William, um, I, uh, what a, a warm welcome there. So uh, you gave me quite a buildup. So uh, I'll try to live up to that billing. So thank you. Oh, I hope you do live up to the billing. I'm very excited about today's <laughs> podcast. So today's topic is creating a community in your organization. And 
the pandemic has really pulled on the social fabric within our organization. As we said here, a community or that social fabric because of the pandemic in an organization could be threadbare where maybe people uh, with really high social capital have departed and there's kind of gaps now in the organization or that sense of community or belonging isn't there. What's your approach to this or what's your insights, John? Well, actually, to take a step back, um, at least in the United States and, and, and probably in Western Europe and, and your own native Ireland, too, um, uh, bonds of community have been eroding for a long time, uh, half a century at least. And so in a workplace was a place where they found community or found a belonging, okay, positive or negative. What the pandemic has done is, as you said, frayed things because we had to be in isolation. Now, I'm somebody who believes that uh, you can can create community um, virtually. Um, it's not a, a, the best way to do it, but you can do it. And I've, I've fostered some very strong relationships with people virtually, but nothing replaces that common and human touch. So my thought is, and again, is I did a lot of work on purpose. And purpose to me is Simon Sinek and many others say purpose is our why. And from our why, we get our um, sense of vision, which is our becoming, our mission, which is our doing and building. And also part of that is where a new topic for me comes in, and that's grace. And that's our sense of belonging. We all want to belong to something. And there's a wonderful example that I have used many times, but it's Father Greg Boyle, a Jesuit priest in East LA, um, who uh, created uh, Homeboy Industries, which was a uh, the largest gang intervention program in the, in the world, actually. And what it essentially, when it boils down to is um, the young people who joined gangs, why did they do it? Because they came from a dysfunctional family. What the gang offered them was uh, was a sense of community. So what Homeboy does is replaces that with their own community. They work, they meet one another, they work cooperatively and all these things in many different businesses and things like that. So it's quite special. And Father Boyle is also an extraordinary writer and a very funny writer too, but he talks about connection. And that's where grace comes in. To me, grace is that facilitator. So grace enables our sense. We're all looking for belonging. We all want to be part of something greater than ourselves. So that's kind of a long-winded answer if you want. And so the natural extension for me is to explore what grace does. I focus on the leadership, but it's also the community. And so how we connect with one another, what we do for one another. And, you know, community is, it's, it's, it's not that we all believe the same things, but we have similar values. And true strong communities are stronger often for their difference. They embrace people from different walks of life, different beliefs and things like that, but they come together for a common cause, whatever it is. There's that diversity of culture, but also diversity of opinion. So uh, a community is not you know, an excuse or a word for uniformity. It's a sense of belonging. Isn't it true? There's a kind of sense, there's an energy or a vibe to a community. You're a bit like myself. You were very fortunate to be, I suppose, a fly in the wall in certain organizations. You might sometimes say to yourself, gosh, I'd love to work here. You know, when you get that sense of energy and that belonging, is there something to that when we were trying to make a sense of community? 
Without question, and I will give you an example um, from my own home area. I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, there is a social service agency that was started more than 50 years ago in the city of Detroit, which at the time was uh, uh, torn apart by uh, riots. And the black community had been suffering for quite some time. And they said, you know, no more. And it was um, injustice, social uh, injustice fomented. And the city was pretty much destroyed, destroyed in many ways. But Focus Hope persevered. And uh, it was co-founded by uh, Father Callahan of Irish heritage there, and also uh, Eleanor Jositis. And she was really the mover behind the thing. And I had, this is years ago, but I remember visiting Focus Hope, which is social service. So it's volunteer. Well, I mean, the, the employees are paid, uh, but um, there was an energy and a commitment and people wanted to belong. And uh, the great Peter Drucker has often said, used to say that knowledge workers have options, or I'm paraphrasing and but successful knowledge worker organizations which are most white collar jobs if you want to say that um people want to have a sense of uh volunteerism not that they work for free but another word for that might be belonging they want to belong by contrast you go into organizations and i'm sure you have seen this william um though not in ireland of course um dysfunctional organizations where people feel disconnected they don't really know their boss or peripherally, they certainly don't know senior management and they may have only seen them on a video screen. So there's no connection. Um, And so it's, it's that sense of connectedness that brings us together. And that I just interviewed a colleague of mine whom I would highly recommend for you, Christine uh, Porath. And she has a new book called Mastering Community. And she's done a lot of research in this. And she talks about um, people want this community. And there's a business uh, equation to this because the more people want to be at work, guess what? <laughs> Turnover goes down, morale goes up, productivity and the buzzword. We don't hear it as much anymore, but engagement. That's it. So it, it's, it, it makes sense to, to think about organizations as community. I like the point that you make there about connection. It is about do you connect with the purpose of the organization? Do you connect with your colleagues? And I think there's that lost art of connection or maybe the organization doesn't facilitate how to connect with people. I think there's such a focus sometimes on the task that sometimes there's a disconnect there with actually we get results done through people. Without question, and I often say this, that we have our vision and we have our mission, and you and I know organizations that can succeed very nicely um, in spite of people. <laughs> so that's where the, the values come in. That's where the grace comes in. And grace facilitates the sense of belonging and the values. And you're absolutely right. Let's look at an organization, and uh, there's the administrative uh, function, which we call management, okay? And then there's the leadership, which is the aspirational. Uh, We're very focused on the management and administrative and with good reason, you know, Um, because management is that discipline in an organization. In reality, one cannot have a successful organization without good management and without good leadership. Uh, you can you can succeed with good management and poor leadership. We've seen that, um, but more and more, and I think the pandemic has exas- exacerbated this now because. 
because people have an option. Um, we call it the great resignation. I call it the great opportunity in a way, because in the war for culture, uh, the war for talent is over. And guess what? Employees won. <laughs> so uh, because they have choices. And so and, but, you, you know, uh, William, and I know you know this from your own practice that Employers um, want uh, employees with options um, and because they want them to belong to their organization because they're getting their commitment, you know, and so that's part of that equation. I'd, I'd love to hear more about Grace and there is that opportunity or that great aspiration that is there that the pandemic has given us that pause to say, you know, wh- why am I here in the first place? This seems to be a rapid amount of turnover at the moment. So if I was a a leader listening in and I'm trying to figure out in my own head to use my own blunt language, how do I stop the rot? What advice? Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a secret, uh, William. So please don't share, keep it to yourself or share it and then get paid for it. When I tell managers or leaders to do this one thing, have a conversation with your employees. Well, don't tell anybody about that, but, and then listen to what they have to say. And so much of that, well, you know, that personal contact means so much and and it's, you know what, it's free, (laughs) but to give, managers are breaking because you raised a very important point about we're task oriented and that's good. I mean, you know, you got to get things done, but the emphasis on task has diminished the personal aspect of it. And I think a lot of managers maybe feel, or certainly used to feel uncomfortable having personal conversations with people. Now let's define what a personal conversation is. Some employees you will have, they'll tell you their life story like that. You know, um, others, you may not know what their their life. So a personal conversation really in a business setting is about what do you want to share? What should I know about you? What are your aspirations? What do you want to get out of this job? You know, these things. And, you know, we all have different motivators, too. So um, and, and you probably agree with this, too. But I think the most successful organizations are those that have a culture of coaching. A wonderful organization that I know of is WD-40, which is out of San Diego, headquartered in San Diego, but it's global. Uh, Gary Ridge, who was a uh, longtime CEO, but just soon stepping down uh, by choice. Um, he taught, he calls his managers coaches. And it's it's not executive coaching, it's developmental coaching. And it's finding out what people are, what they want. And some people, you know, a job is a job, okay? And that's all they want. Other people want to become the next CEO. Well, that's that's their option too. So you have to, and if a person with a job is just a job, they're contributing and they're um, doing the work, fine, that's it, you know? But if somebody is a climber, then and doing it appropriately, appropriate behaviors. Well, that's something that you want to invest in and nurture them. So it's ha- but it's getting to know your people, and it it's not prying. It's just having conversations and knowing the whole person. Because you know what, we're we are workers, yes. But I like the word contributor. And when we view, if I view you as a contributor, William, you I look at you as a more of the whole person. What can you bring to the job? And here's the other thing about having a conversation. 
are there other things you think you could be doing? And you go, well, yeah, I, you know, I'm in this a lot, but I could be doing X. I have these skills or I'd like to be developed. So, and, you know, maybe that's going, maybe that's going to school, that's getting training, whatever it is, but these things are all possible. And it all comes from that one-to-one conversation. I love the points that you make there about connection and contribution how is it that I contribute? Because I think that's sometimes lacking is people feel like they're not making a difference or they're not contributing. And how do I connect to the overall strategic goals of the organization? And how does that, how do I connect to maybe my department goals that connects to the organization goals? And it really is about that coaching culture. I do a lot of work at the moment about feedback, about coaching, developing that culture. And it is about asking me and hearing my voice. And I think, One of the major reasons at the moment there's such a huge turnover is number one, their voice isn't heard or worse, their voice is being ignored. (laughs) Yeah, that is so true, you know, and that's an interesting point. Um, And again, another story, when Alan Mulally um, took over Ford Motor Company now in 2006, he was totally new to the auto industry. And all the skeptics said, well, he's going to torch that place. And only a few handful of people left and they essentially opted out. They didn't, you know, they had done their time and, you know, didn't want to put up with another management. And so that was fine. But what Alan did and all good leaders, especially those come from the outside, is they have an eye for finding unused talent or overlooked talent. And I I have a feeling that crisis is like um, in hot coffee, uh, cream rises to the top. The same with crisis, talent rises to the top. So you want to look for, you know, the classic term, um, the self-starter, the person of initiative, the person who makes you know, does things and sort of asks for permission later. <laughs> those, but for good intention, not not for other people. Um, and those are the people. Um, uh, the, the another um, colleague of mine, uh, Liz Weisman, has a wonderful book out called Impact Players. And impact players are those who make a real positive difference in the organization. Seldom are they the senior leaders. They are people in the organization that see a better way and just do it. And they bring other people along with them. So look for the organizations who are having impact. And that's what good managers do. Who's getting things done? You know, things aren't done at the top. They're done in the middle and in the front lines. And so it's up to management. Don't screw it up. <laughs> so, but seriously, it's, it's set the, set the directions for it. And, and that's a tough job in itself because you're, you're, you know, looking downward, but you're also looking over the parapet to see what's happening. It's a dual responsibility. Leaders in organizations can be blockers, can't they? Because sometimes if they don't utilize those self-starters and sometimes middle management are hugely frustrated when you talk about uh, Liz Wiseman's impact players, sometimes they have this potential there that is just underutilized. And sometimes it's like they don't have the psychological safety or they don't have the trust or maybe they don't have that flexible power, that positional power to go, okay, you do it. Off you go. Right. 
And so, of course, um, I did a book years ago called, uh, which was just named, <laughs> and I'll, I'll blow my own trumpet here for a second, uh, one of 11 best books for new managers. It's called Lead Your Boss. Now, what the book is about is uh, leading up, managing up, and it's really a book about influencing from the middle. And so while it's easy to throw stones at senior management, they won't give me this and all that. And that's true. It's fair. Sometimes, the man, very often, managers need to take it upon themselves to affect positive change. And so if you have a good idea, how do you sell it? How do you navigate upward? Well, the first step is knowing your boss. And here's how I always like to make this thing. If your boss is an idiot, that's a good thing if you want to sell things, because all you do is say, boss, I'm doing this and it's your idea. OK, you know, <laughs> because then you can make them look good and make yourself look good and make the team look good. But you always argue from the proposition of this is good for the team. And it's not about me, although ideally it will reflect back on you uh, because you're the initiator of it. But it's about, uh, because if you just, if you lead with yourself, you become nothing more than a self-promoter, no matter how good your idea is. So, but by using the team as your framework to go forward, you become a person of influence that other people want to join because you're open to this. But thinking about influence and it comes at so many different ways. And I think uh, taking a step sideward, medicine is an interesting way of influence. The, when new therapies are adopted, it's not, there isn't some, uh, there's no Pope of medicine that <laughs> said you will do. I mean, there are laws and things, dictums and things like that. But practitioners adopt methodologies because, oh, that doctor had this success with it. That doctor, she did good things with that. I'm going to incorporate that and things like that. So what is that? That's peer-to-peer -peer influence. So that's where great ideas, um, how they proliferate. <clears throat> that's where your influence comes from. If I'm a leader and I want people to connect with purpose, have that sense of belonging, and I'm trying to reestablish that, I'm trying to bounce back in an organization, how might I do that? Well, that's a good question. If I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't be here, William. You, I'd, be, I'd be so wealthy. I'd be on a, a Greek island somewhere. No. Um, well, it's, it's aligning purpose. So what's the purpose of the organization? What does it stand for? What does it do? And am I uh, enamored of, excuse me, do I buy into that? And so that's where there's a lot of discussion about purpose within knowledge and high-powered knowledge organizations, a consultancy firm or whomever, or, or, or maybe uh, tech and things like that. Um, people's purpose is aligned with, I want to do this, and this is what my company does, and we do it. Well, what about purpose if you're a frontline worker or and you don't have influence over your job per se, but you do it? You have a different kind of purpose. Your purpose is to take care of your family or all those kinds of things or allow time for your uh, free time to do whatever it is, your hobbies, take care of your family, all of these positive things. So defining what your purpose is. And I think we can basically have a couple of, we can have a professional purpose and we can have a personal purpose. So fusing the two is ideal, but it may not always happen. So the, the thing is, is finding your purpose. And here's a question that was shared with me. And I'm sure you've never heard it before, William, but I'll share it with you. What gets you up in the morning? <laughs> so 
that's you know what gets you excited and if you're not getting excited about getting up in the morning then maybe your uh, that your work environment isn't what it could be so maybe you have some other options or something or maybe what gets you up in the morning is i'm providing by my for my family that's kind of thing so it's knowing what it is and there's something else that i just i did an article recently about um, our purpose can shift over time. Um, I use the example of my father, uh, who's now passed on, but he was a family physician. He said from the time he was four years old, he knew he wanted to be a doctor. Well, bless him. You know, I didn't figure out what I was going to do till I was <laughs> much, much older, <laughs> many multiples of four. So and dad lived a good, fulfilled life. And he was a physician and a very good one. So but all of us don't have that. And also circumstances change. And there was a wonderful essay written by um, Elliot Ackerman, who was a combat veteran, Marine, and also a wonderful journalist too. And he talked about when you're in combat, there's nothing that will combine, will uh, supersede the connection and the cohesion that you feel. And they said, you come back to civilian life, that's over. Then what do you do? Okay, well, Ideally, most veterans uh, adapt and they find that some, hopefully we provide them with help. But what I'm, what I was using Elliot's uh, 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 example as is that our, we can have a purpose in our youth or in an experience, a, a professional athletes, the same kind of thing. You're never going to feel if you're on a championship team, be it in high school or being in professional as you did, you're never going to feel as connected as you did. But what else do you do with the rest of your life? you got a lot to give. So what can you do? So it's okay to re-examine your purpose and to change and to rethink. But I think, to getting back to your original question, how do we foster purpose? Well, we preach what our values are, a hammer home, what the vision is, what the mission is. And more importantly, most importantly, how do you contribute to that? What do what you do in accounting? How does that enable us to be fulfill our vision and our mission? Make that connection. And once you do, other people go, oh, well, that's what I do. And oh, that's what I do. You know, I, there's a, a healthcare system here in uh, Southeast Michigan, Henry Ford Health System that borrowed, actually borrowed, they hired uh, a senior executive from uh, Ritz Carlton and they imported that culture and of caring for customers. And what it is, is, you know, the Ritz Carlton you go into, it's a very, very customer focused, not just the, at, from the senior level, but at, from the chambermaid level, you know? So, and what it is because you trust your employees. So here's the thing, take something like janitorial services in a hospital. Okay. That is a thankless job, but what, by imbuing it with a culture of service, the janitorial services, I'm making this place antiseptic. So I pay, so patients who come here will have successful outcomes. I'm cleaning the floor. I'm keeping it safe. That's the mindset, you know, and you can almost take that mindset to all kinds of things. It's the higher purpose. What more does your job do if it facilitates that? So it's imbuing your purpose, not with an artificiality, but with something that is meaningful to us. Because we're all, as you said earlier, we're all looking for meaning in our lives. And that's what community offers it, us. Just to follow on from that, I think it is that authentic connection. So if you are trying to turn the ship around in your organization, it does take that moxie to use your, your approach there. There is a change in purpose or change of focus to say, listen, 
here's how we're looking at the focus now. It is through better patient outcomes, and this is how you contribute to it. So while I'm speaking about Moxie, then, can you can you tell me what Moxie is? Because you, you have your, your own approach to this. Uh, Moxie was a book I wrote um, in 2014, uh, uh, and it's about what I call it. Moxie is the guts and gumption focused on a goal. I've always loved the term Moxie. It comes from our um, uh, movies of uh, American movies of the 30s and 40s. You know, uh, they would there was that down and out prize fighter who has one more last fight, and people say he's got Moxie, or it's the gangster mall who has the courage to uh, turn against the mob boss. You know, she's got moxie so it's your guts and your gumption but in a leadership standpoint it's it's focused on uh, a positive on a positive outcome okay and, and it's determination it's perseverance toward that so moxie is very important um i turned moxie into a an acronym um so to to I get away from the true, truest sense of the word moxie but i dimensionalize it a little bit it's mindfulness opportunity. Um, X factor is character, essentially. Okay. I is innovation and E is engagement. And let's take the mindfulness. We're, we live in a culture where mindfulness, sadly, has become a buzzword. And But mindfulness from a leadership standpoint is very important. It's I'm present. And here, here's, here's how this presence works. You and I are having a conversation. Just say you report to me, William. I'm sitting here looking at my, checking my messages and doing this, or, you know, maybe on the phone or whatever. I'm not really present, <laughs> you know? And so, but if I'm focused on you, okay, I'm present with you. I'm in the moment with you. I'm listening. But there's a step beyond for mindfulness. And to borrow a military term, it's situation awareness. What's happening around us? Because I, as the leader, need to know that. And there's a little mantra I have borrowed from a military, again, a military example, um, came out of Vietnam. And it was uh, actually made a movie of it, not the mantra, but uh, We Were Soldiers Once and Young by Joey Galloway. And he tells the story of Colonel Moore and Sergeant Plumley, who were in uh, the Idrang Valley had been surrounded uh, by 3,000 North Vietnamese regulars. They were 150 guys. So they had pretty chewed up. But throughout the battle, um, Colonel Moore, later General Moore, was seen to sort of withdraw and kind of process his thoughts. And what he was going through, this is a little mantra, and I've shared it widely. It's what's happening what's not happening, and what do I do to influence the outcome? And that's an exercise you can do as a self-check, uh, however and what, but it's also good for managers to do. And this is improves your situational awareness. So it's what's happening, this quick diagnostic, okay, we're doing this, this, and that's it. The next one is a tough one. What's not happening? That's where you get into all the un- uh, peril, po untapped possibilities, potentials, danger, all this, all the you know positives and negatives that are affecting it. Then the next step is, what do I do about it? Okay. Sometimes it's nothing, but sometimes it's, I need to, I as a leader need to be actively engaged, but most often it's, I need to delegate my people to handle this. So, and uh, it's not buck passing, it's empowering them to solve problems. So, or make things better. So, so what's happening? 
what's not happening, and what can I do to influence the outcome? Just on the mindfulness piece there, because I, I, think, I think when you ask those three questions, it's wonderful. The question that keeps coming up for me is, mindfulness is often seen as a practice. So any guidance for people, how much time should I spend on this mindfulness or that, this reflective piece? I'm not the expert in mindfulness, <laughs> but I, have, I know people who are. Um, it also comes out of uh, yoga um, and, and things like that. It's being present with oneself and understanding one's own physicality. Another word that might be more comfortable for people is reflection. Um, and I learned this a long time ago from a wonderful executive who's now passed on, Skip LaFoe, who was the um, a General Motors executive. And he's the one that really built what was then a, a, a different kind of vehicle and sales experience for uh, American buyers. And it was the Saturn. Um, and he talked about um, executives making time for reflection. And I said to him, I interviewed him. Um, I said, Skip, I said, what's, you know, you're a busy guy. How do you make time for reflection? And he looked at me like I had two heads and he said, you put it on your calendar. <laughs> so, uh, and for Skip often reflection was, he would do it in dialogue with a, with a trusted associate. I think most often on people issues, you know, he would he'd take his HR, senior HR person, and they would talk through issues and stuff like that. So reflection then can be that bounce back, which reflection really is, but it's also the self uh, thing. Um, and there's lots of, you know, practices about, um, you know, knowing oneself, um, so a gentleman I know um, as, very successful senior executive here and now teaches at University of Northwestern, um, the Kellogg School, um, Harry Kramer. Um, he asks himself three questions every night. How did I do? What could I do better? Those kinds of things. That's a form of reflection. You know, Marshall Goldsmith does the same thing, five questions and things like that. So it's, you devote the time that you want to devote to it. So, um, and, but I think executives owe it to themselves to be reflective about themselves, but also the business and the management. So I have no executives who will take an afternoon off from all scheduled meetings. They just tell their admin, no meetings here. Now, does that time get chewed up? Sure it does. You know, but um, if you, as Skip said, you know, put it on your calendar, it'll be that reminder that I need to do that. There's also reflection, you know, that just happens. You know, we talk about, oh, I get my best ideas in the shower. Well, that's true because you, it may be true for you because you have been ruminating. I don't mean uh, destructively ruminating, but this is ideas on your head. So, Boom, Eureka, it comes to you, maybe in the middle of the night, whatever, you know. So because you've been immersed in this topic, then you'll see new opportunities or you'll see clarity on that issue. So um, so I don't have an answer. I mean, I know people who meditate an hour a day. I mean, whoa, that's a long time. That's a long time. You know, five minutes is a long time for somebody, a, a monkey brain like me, where my mind is always scattered. Uh, but I think it's, a, a commitment to doing it and, and finding, and you don't have to be stationary. I mean, you could be do it in your exercise or, or whatever, but find, you know, find a way to do it. And, and again, you can do it with colleagues. 
I like that approach that it's consistent, isn't it? And it can be done self-reflection or with a coach or, or, or whatever. Uh, it's funny I mentioned the shower. Uh, I often have ideas and then I'm sprinting from the shower, get a pen and paper or tapping an idea into my phone. So when we go back to, to creating a community then, I think there is an opportunity then to look for opportunities within the team there is who are your contributors and again then is is what is the gap i think that is what's not happening i think that's a really good question to ask isn't it yeah and and here i want to exact a little discipline here you know if you're in a change thing and i'm sure you've dealt with this you know not everybody's going to be uh make it across the shore you know because because of choice they maybe they don't have the skills but often you know it's not my thing and i'm i'm comfortable where i am and i i'd rather do something else so you can't convert people who don't want to be converted um so focus on those change uh, focus on those people who are persuadable um don't waste your time um you know present everybody equal opportunity yes but if people aren't buying and do the best you can, but don't um, don't think you can't act without a hundred percent commitment because you're never going to get that, you know. So um, so, but it's that focus on yes, and I like to you know that contributors. What can people do? And here's the other thing: people might be resistant at first because hey, it's another flavor of the month, whatever. But when they see people engaged and doing it, and they see positive outcomes, well, that persuades a lot of people. <laughs> so then that's what happens. So give it time um, and be flexible. You know, um, the whole concept of management thing and uh, technology is agile. Yeah. Fast fail. Those types of things. Um, do what you can do, but don't overdo it. So what does that mean? I have no idea. But it means, I guess it means don't be overly concerned if you don't get enough initial results. Do the best you can do with the people that you can and see what happens. And again, that goes back to that X factor that you're talking about at the boxy, isn't it? That this is a leadership piece here. And there, there is that element of X factors is you have to be ins- inspirational and I have to really believe that you're going to follow through with creating this community and you have to really have a real commitment to it. And I think that's, that's the thing why people are leaving is, is, is they don't feel that sense of commitment for leadership to create in that community. Isn't that the thing that's missing? Yeah, I always say this about uh, uh, failing uh, sports teams, you know, well, if the players don't care, why should I? <laughs> you know. So if, if I'm an, if, uh, an employee and my manager doesn't care, well, I sure as heck am not going to care, you know. And so that's, yeah, it's a real, this is what, this is what the mat, the leadership uh, is so important to management because you can manage without being a leader, but it's not really a pleasant environment. It's just kind of by the numbers and um, it's, it doesn't inspire anyone. And curiously, I, re- I remember doing some research on the last recession we had 10, more than a dozen years ago, that people were actually looking for inspiration and it almost struck me as yeah that's a human element but they really wanted it from their boss and i think now more than anything they want inspiration but they want something else and you've heard it many times and it's they we look for empathy well from someone who feels my pain for a leader that's not enough Okay, there has you have to do something, you have to facilitate connection. So, how do you facilitate that? Well, 
It's compassion. To me, empathy is the compassion is the expression of uh, empathy. So it's what you do. And I think leaders must be compassionate. Um, and that com compassion is the concern for others as much as you can do, creating conditions for people to succeed, uh, creating harmony in the workplace. That doesn't mean we all agree, but as you had mentioned this term, psychological safety. That's incredible. That's very important. Do I, and that's important to belonging. You know, can I raise an alternate point of view? That's so critical. You know, do I belong here? Am I, uh, is my viewpoint honored? For managers who are skeptical of this, just because you acknowledge someone's uh, uh, subordinates' ideas doesn't mean you have to act on it because it might not be appropriate or doable or actionable or whatever, but at least you've heard them and you've responded to them. That's what people want. I want, you had said this, I want to be heard. OK, let me speak. And and that's what's so important. And when I can and that's what community does. I can voice my opinion. I think you have touched on something so important, that compassion piece. It's about that action. Now that I've my voice has been heard. Well, what are the actions going to be taken? So it's a bit like, are you going to empower me or give me that autonomy to do something? Or what are you going to do about it? And it's demonstrating that commitment by some sort of action or, or, or commitment. And I'm just curious, we're coming to the end of the podcast soon, but when we talk about, we're both coaches here, and I'm just curious about leaders then who are so focused on results that it's nearly getting in the way of them being listening to people. What, what do you think is behind that? It, it's a bit like they're not able to, to, to sit back and reflect. It's just... It's so, they're, they're so laser focused on a metric, a result that it's actually getting in the way of organizational performance. Well, the, the cruel irony is, is the more focused are they, uh, they are on results, the less they will get with, well, at least with greater pain. So, and I, I want to say, give them a break. I think they haven't been educated enough. They haven't, they haven't been managed well. They haven't been led well. And so they don't understand the human equation. And so, but once they go on it, um, and here's something that, that uh, you know, if you want, if you want to achieve all of these things, and you want to do it better, think about your people. How can you get them to do it rather than you doing it? And you don't have to have a stick in your hand. It's about enabling them to think and do for themselves within the strategic imperative. So, in other words, rather than you being the you know the the dictator, um, it, it's bring people along with you. And so we see this in organizations which are dysfunctional. Is all all everything is top down and. And so people just feel, hey, they don't want to, how many times have you heard? They don't listen to me. They don't want my opinion. So I'm going to do just what's necessary. How about better? Like I'm going to do more than necessary. Why? Because I want to, because I believe in this, because this is my community. I understand the vision. I'm part of creating the vision or fulfilling the mission. And I'm a builder. I'm a doer. I'm helping fulfill the mission. I love that there's, it is that sense of belief, isn't it? And everybody wants to be part of 
a winning team. We are a part of a winning team here today, John. Thank you very much <laughs> for that. Well, thank you, William. And I want to give you the opportunity you now. There might be people to be interested in more that you do or to connect with you. What, what might, how might they do so? Well, it's the easiest place. It's simply my web, website, which is johnbaldoni.com. From there, you can find all my books, which are on Amazon. Um, I also have uh, a, a blog. I, I also write uh, regularly for Forbes.com and contribute to Smart Brief. Um, I have my link I'm, and search for me on LinkedIn. I'm there too. So um, I'm out there. So I'm pretty, I should be easy to find. And if I'm not, then I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so. John, it was great talking to you today. Thank you for joining the Workplace Podcast. Well, you asked terrific questions, uh, William. So thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provider executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.